Hello and welcome back in to another episode of the Jets Lab podcast. I'm your host, Joey Bonsanti. Sitting across the laptop from me is my co-host, my good friend, a former high school star cornerback. Some would call him JT. JT, how we doing? Joey, I'm doing well today. I'm excited now for our topics. If you can't tell, we are going to be talking about cornerbacks today. And yeah, I thought- you know what? It's something that hits close to home and it's something that we need for the Jets. Yeah, I thought I'd bring that up, uh, maybe introduce you a, a bit different today um, as we talk about cornerbacks in our breakdown today, continuing the mini series that we have. We've done, we've gone over the quarterbacks, we've gone over O-line, now we're getting to flipping it back to the defensive side here with the cornerbacks. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the what the episode will be about today. We're going to get into the lab report soon, but how are you doing, JT? You doing good? You know, I'm doing well. Uh, tomorrow's Good Friday and Easter's coming up. It's fi- finally feels like spring out here. And I'm just excited for the warmer weather to come around. And we are less than one month away from the NFL draft. How about that? 28 days. I Trust me, I'm keeping count every day. Yeah, so uh, long, painful four weeks here before we uh, we finally get to the draft day and, and this quarterback discussion. So let it, let us break into the lab report here and uh, – Let's start it off before we get into the the whole quarterback thing. Let's let's start it off with what happened on Friday, the day after we recorded. A massive trade pretty much happened on Friday. JT, you want to break that down for us? Definitely. So what happened was Miami ended up trading back to the 12th overall pick with San Francisco. San Francisco sent them the 12th overall pick this year, their third round pick this year one of their third round picks this year because they got one from us hiring Robert Sallow. Then they sent them two first round picks, their 2022nd first and their 2023rd first. Then about what Joey, like 30 minutes after that trade, Miami trades back up to six overall with the Eagles giving them, giving the Eagles the 12th round pick or sorry, the 12th overall pick a 2022 first Miami's 2022 first and then they swapped fifths and fourths for this year so Miami's making a lot of moves yeah that was kind of a I mean I know I was in the midst of work I get my phones are blown like oh hold on so what initially when the first part of the trade went down I was like that's a really good deal for Miami you know they move back they get all these picks I'm like oh my god like they could still get a good quality player at 12. They just added that much more capital and then they moved back up. I was kind of like, eh, I mean, I, I thought it would be a better deal for them to stay at 12 and keep that capital instead of moving up to the sixth pick where they're probably just going to get a wide receiver of some sort, whether it be Pitts or Waddle or Smith or Chase or whoever the hell it's going to be. But I mean, I, either way, they're, they're, they still gained capital and they're in a good position. I just think they may have wasted some of it. Miami's definitely in a good position right now. I do think their initial trade back was amazing. Getting two firsts and that third round pick, it was quite the haul for Miami. Trading back up somewhat rubs me the wrong way just because from what I've seen, you don't really need to trade up or you shouldn't trade up, some people say, in the first round if you're not selecting a quarterback. But you know, Maybe Kyle Pitts is the exception if they can get him. I've seen where Kyle Pitts has been talking with the Bengals. Kyle Pitts has been talking with Atlanta. He talks to everyone. Everyone wants a piece of Pitts. But maybe if they really wanted Pitts, they should have stayed at three. 
So let's flip it back to how does this affect us? And everyone was saying, well, why, why wouldn't um, they, why wasn't anyone talking to the jets, you know, to move up to the, to the, to the number two spot. You, you'd think if San Fran moved up, they would try to move up to two and get their guy. Right. So everyone said, well, maybe they weren't trying Maybe they weren't even talking to the Jets. I don't really buy that. I think something maybe happened there, or they know that the Jets are not going to budge because they're taking a quarterback. Yeah, I also don't really buy it, but at the same time, I could see it happening where the Eagles actually first said they wanted to trade up, but knew they didn't, but they said they didn't want to trade up because they knew Zach Wilson wasn't going to be there at three. So the only way they can know that, I guess, is if Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman still kind of have that connection. And maybe Howie called up Joe and said, hey, Joe, well, is Zach Wilson going to be available at three? And I'm very positive Joe did not just tell Howie, oh, I'm taking Wilson with the second overall pick. But, you know, they still have a connection. And it's been reported that the Eagles didn't want to go up to three because they know Zach Wilson wouldn't be there. So maybe the 49ers heard that through the GM hotline and figured oh the jets are not moving from that second overall pick why even bother calling him and wasting our time when we could just call miami and deal with them i also just have a gut feeling san francisco's just wants trey lance have him sit behind jimmy g and then he can develop nicely that's kind of my feel i i could see it happen both ways where they hit up the jets and where they just didn't contact them at all but either way san francisco is now going to get a quarterback i would hope so if they gave up that much draft capital and that that'll be a part of their future whether it be this year or next year or years to come so there's yeah, a, I mean, it, it, it it's just going to be we're, we get we're going to get a quarterback at two obviously and you know i think that really affected how this how these teams are trading up and stuff and there's a lot of talk that san francisco might actually be selecting mac jones with that third overall pick but after seeing his second pro day, I'm not sure if they want to take Mac Jones in anymore. But speaking of pro days, two big guys had pro days this week, Joey, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. A lot of talk. I mean, maybe a little too much talk about him. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think there is a, a little bit too much of talk with him with the, about the pro days. Uh, pro days are fun, they're, but they're like highlight tapes. You're only showing off your strengths there. I hate to sound like that guy, but these guys are out there with no pressure around, no sort of no defense at all. And they're making throws that honestly they should be making with no one around them. I mean, these are wide open guys. And if they're as good as people are saying they are, they should be making these throws. But you know, the media, they're going to blow everything out of proportion. And yes, were some of the throws made by Wilson and Fields amazing and really impressive? Yeah, but I mean, few years back we were saying the same thing about Donald in the rain when he was throwing and slinging the ball around at his pro day i mean it's the same thing year in and year out where we see these quarterbacks oh my god oh my god and then it boils down to it and there's like two guys that end up panning out so come on let's not overreact it's pro day pro days are definitely they're fun to watch but you gotta take them with a grain of salt for sure and i was definitely excited watching both of these pro days and there were definitely some wow throws where Zach Wilson rolling to his left, launching the ball deep middle to his right, and then Justin Fields rolling to his left and launching the ball 85 yards uh, flat-footed or whatever it was. Not 85 yards, but you get the picture. And they're both great, great prospects, I think. 
Yeah. And before we move on from them, I do want to say this. And I this is my prediction as of 28 days from the draft. I think, and this is early because things can change within the next four weeks, but as of today, I have a feeling that the Jets are going to take Justin Fields number two overall. That is my prediction. I feel like he's going to be the Jets quarterback of the future. And again, I have no bias either way. I maybe lean a little bit more Wilson right now, but my gut is saying Justin Fields at number two come April 29th draft day for the New York Jets. It's funny you say that. I think you might need a gut check, Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Every week I got in this new gut feeling about someone, right? But I did see Joe Douglas talking with Zach Wilson at the end of his pro day, having a very intimate conversation, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, again, I could see both the guys. I I would just – I think most of Jets' Twitter has leaned towards Zach Wilson, and I would prepare yourself that in the the fact that it is Justin Fields not to get upset, not to get angry, and just kind of roll with what Douglas wants to do here. I do have a feeling a lot of the media is blowing Zach Wilson up, and I think maybe there's still a pretty good chance that Justin Fields could be selected at number two overall. That's all. That's all. That's really the point with with those two I want to make. And, you know, with that being said, 28 days away from draft day, and we still have Sam Darnold as our starting quarterback. It's making us feel a little bit uneasy, but there was a couple things I wanted to bring up in terms of Sam Darnold on this roster heading forward. Number one, I just wanted to mention that he could be here just because he's getting traded on draft day and teams aren't really rushing to do anything at the quarterback position right now. You know, you could be a team like Chicago and say, all right, we, we may try to trade up and get someone. We may, we need to see how things play out. Draft day comes, they can't make any moves. And they're like, all right, now we're stuck with Dalton. He's obviously not the, the answer for the future. Maybe let's try to get Darnold for a third round pick and let him sit behind Dalton for a year and see if he could revitalize his career next year. I do think Darnold will be traded on draft day. It just seems that's more likely to me when those kind of trades happen. We saw it happen with Josh Rosen and it just seems a team is going to get desperate on draft day. Someone's going to get cold feet, whether it be the Panthers, the Broncos, the bears, maybe even the lions. I'm just throwing teams out here out of the blue at this point, but you never know what team's going to call up on draft day and say, guys, we need a quarterback or a backup quarterback or someone young who maybe just needs a new change of scenery, but I just can't see this trade happening before draft day right now. Yeah. And we both agree on that. And I think another thing that we could potentially see, and we saw it in the past with, with the Joe Douglas led team, not saying he was a GM, but he was involved in a lot of the upper management parts in Philadelphia. You could see Sam Donald stay on this team and the New York Jets draft a quarterback at two. I think it's very unlikely, but if he does stay, it could be a situation where like, we're going to keep him through the preseason, through the start of the regular season, and see if a team has a quarterback that goes down and needs someone desperately. That way his draft capital goes way through the roof because now the team needs Donald. They don't really have a choice. So you could be looking at a second or a first year for Sam Donald. Again, I think that situation is unlikely, but you look back into Philadelphia, this, this happened with Sam Bradford and Carson Wentz. Sam Bradford went down. Or I'm sorry. Wait, is that right? <laughs> no, it right, someone right? else went down. I someone, believe. someone went down and Sam Bradford got traded to the Minnesota Vikings for a first round pick. So they, they had to they had to wait, right? Was and it I, Case Keenum went down? Yes, I think it was Case Keenum who went down. Yeah. I, I'm I'm completely messing that has up. To be I, I I read this and <laughs> I, I'm I'm messing up the players and where they where they were going. The little details aren't 
problem here. It's more so the concept, the idea, but I do think you're right. And to be honest, the more I do think about it, this could very well happen. And I wouldn't be opposed to it. Obviously, I don't want Darnold on the roster after drafting a new quarterback since it's just such a weird relationship. And it's unfair to both the kids where you bring in a new guy, you have the guy you just drafted three years ago. It's awkward and it's weird. But at the same time, as if this is the best way to maximize his draft value and to get something for Darnold, Joe Douglas will probably do it. Yeah. Again, I don't think it's likely, but you never know what could happen. We will see. And again, I feel like we're talking about quarterbacks every week on this show. It's getting kind of old, but I think that will come to an end, hopefully within the next few episodes. So with that being said, let's uh, end the lab report. Let's start up our cornerback breakdown and obviously looking at draft prospects here. Who wants to go first? Me or you? Me, yeah, right? You go first, Joey. Okay. So these are all guys who we think may be there at 23. Um, also some guys that, you know, they're, they're mocks that have them going top 15. There's some mocks that have them going late first into the second. It's kind of just a mix of guys. So I'll start off a guy that everyone has been talking about. JC Horn, he's 6'1", 205 pound corner out of the university of South Carolina. Um, like I've mentioned before, I don't necessarily think he's going to make it to 23, but I just thought we could break down the goods and the bads of the player in JC Horn and why I think he would be. I really think that he could be a Joe Douglas pick there at 23 if he makes it. Um, He's a very athletic corner. He has great size. He does a great job of flipping his hips in transition, getting his head back around. He plays very physical football, and he does really good against the bigger wide receiver matchups. That's the kind of guy I see Joe Douglas going after, this bigger guy who can play on the outside, does really well on one-on-one situations. And J.C. Horn just seems like a really good fit with Joe Douglas, I mean, there are a couple of negatives as there are with any prospect. He's quick to leave his back pedal, leads his own coverage, and he just needs to become a better tackler in open field. But I think some of those things are, are easy to fix. I think the positives really outweigh the negatives here. And it seems like someone that Joe Douglas could go after if he drops to 23. JC Horn, I think is a great player. And funny enough, when Chris Sims released his top five cornerback ranking rankings, uh, JC Horn wasn't on there. And you saw J.C. Horn quote tweeted and everything, and then he spoke at his pro day about the draft is just a load of BS pretty much, and that it doesn't really matter. You still have to play football at the end of the day. And I'll tell you what, I'd love to get J.C. Horn at 23 if we can. Do you think it's more likely we take him at 23 or interior offensive line? If if Horn's available and an, and an interior offensive lineman that we like, it would be a tough uh, – Tough pick there to be- pick between those two. How about how about I'll give you this? How about Vera Tucker or Horn? Yeah, that's the one I was picturing. And <laughs> honestly, I think you would have to go Vera Tucker just because of these other guys we're gonna name in this episode who might be a little, who might slip into that second round or maybe even a late round guy. But you, I think O line, you gotta give your quarterback an O line. And I think there's, I think, I think we both think there's more depth at the cornerback position, but. Why don't you hit us with your guy? Definitely. So Greg Newsom, the second is who I'm talking about here. So Greg Newsom, he's been projected to go in the first round a lot now. And actually at our pick or a little bit, a few picks behind us in the first, there've been some mock drafts where I see him fall into that 34 pick would be a dream scenario. My eyes, if we can get an interior offensive lineman at 23 and then pick up Newsom 
at 34. But some of his positives are he's very patient with his zone eyes. He doesn't get caught out of position. This guy will wait and sniff out plays. He's not going to be caught sleeping out there. Uh, he's exceptional from playing deep to shallow. He only allowed one catch on 15 targets of 10 yards or plus in 2020. And I don't know any cornerbacks off the top of my head who actually allowed one catch of 10 yards or plus in 2020. So I just think that's an eye-popping stat. He's got great length. He's about six foot, weighs 190. So he's got good height there for a corner. And his feet are actually one of the uh, biggest strengths of his game. He's got quick feet. He doesn't take false steps. None of this dancing around, no clunkiness. He's just quick and decisive when he's playing. A few of the concerns with Horn, with uh, excuse me, with Newsom though, is he doesn't close as fast as you want to see that uh, your corners closing. So he's not what this really is showing that he doesn't make the great athletic plays that you want from a corner. He's allowed a lot of those underneath passes to be completed. And that's something that you definitely don't want to be happening when you're just being uh, death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, just quick under drag routes on your corner. So hopefully I think that can be fixed, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, he's sitting high too on those routes that he's defending. We said how he's patient from going from deep to shallow, which is great because you don't want to get beat over the top, but at the same time, you don't want to be just sitting up there waiting for the over the top pass. And then they just come right underneath also. And he didn't really play against legit talent other than Ohio State this year. So, you know, and this could be a Zach Wilson problem where it's like, oh, yeah, great player, but where's the competition? And I do think you can scout a player outside of their competition, but it's always something to keep an eye on. So you think we're more likely to get someone like Greg Newsom the second at pick 34, you're saying, right? I definitely think Newsom would be more of a pick 34 kind of guy, unless for some reason and it's not out of the possibilities that there's a huge run of corners taken in the first round where Newsom's your best corner available at that 23rd pick. And Joe Douglas is evaluating the positions and the draft needs and the player depth. And he says, all right, if we don't take Newsom here at 23, we're probably not going to take a guy until the third round or something so he might take him at 23 but i think he's more likely of a candidate to go at 34 which really i mean a lot of the stuff you're saying about greg newsom is is very impressive and i think that speaks volumes to the amount of just depth there is at this cornerback class so i think there's a lot of guys to keep an eye on i, I really would like uh, if we if we went offensive line or i mean maybe edge at 23 getting a guy like this at 34 i'd be super happy um, let's transition it into my next guy here. I think this guy is, is more big on like the name recognition, Asante Samuel Jr. He, um, obviously the son of Asante Samuel, the former NFL cornerback, 5'10", 184 out of FSU, a bit smaller than the previous player I just mentioned in Horn. Um, I think he's probably going to go like mid second, uh, could drop down into the third potentially, I'm not huge on him, but I just thought I'd pick a guy out that could be in our wheelhouse and, you know, break him down. You know, he's he's athletic. He has really quick, good ball skills. He's quick to pick up coverage assignments, um, smooth when flipping his 
hips and quick to quick downfield. I, I, a lot of the stuff I read with him is that he's very quick. He's very feisty and he's really good with um, timing on his past defenses. So I don't, I think he he'd line up mostly in like nickel packages in the slot. Don't really want to take a guy in the second round. Who's going to be prioritized in the slot. I think we need more of an outside guy. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at a crossroads with him. I'm not sure I'd want to, take him with the 34th pick. If he dropped into the third, I wouldn't see, you know, I could see the value there. Um, again, some of the bad though, his height, he's, he is a smaller corner compared to some of the other guys uh, that could create mismatch problems. He tends to grab a lot, which is going to translate to penalties on the next level. He's not the best tackler. And, and really when you break it down, a lot of people said that the size is the biggest problem. I mean, that's going to force him to play a lot of nickel packages in the NFL I think we need to focus more on outside guys when it comes to pick 23, you know, pick 34, if we're going to take one that high. Asante Samuel would be a great target. As you said, if he comes to that third round pick, I would love to pick up a guy like Samuel if we haven't taken the corner yet, or maybe even if we have. But as you said, uh, he might be in a slot corner and a nickel package kind of guy. And we actually do need that right now, considering we haven't brought back Brian Poole. And right now, our only slot corner is Javelin. I'm sorry, Javelin, Javelin, <laughs> Gidry. Jeff Gidry, um, I think. I've been. I might have butchered his name right there, which is just not allowed on this show. But <laughs> uh, Gidry is our only slot corner really on the roster, so it could be in the cards to be taking Asante Samuel Jr. with the third round pick if he makes it that far. It's not Jeff Gidry. I, I have the depth chart up here. It's it's ja- you were right. It's Javelin Gidry. Javelin, so, yeah. <laughs> good job of you, Corey Ballantyne. I mean, I mean this this corner depth on this team is just horrendous. <laughs> and bless Austin, corner number one. Nothing against bless, but I mean, bless you, Bryce, need, Bryce Hall. I mean, Justin Hardy is currently the second his second string cornerback. So and he doesn't even <laughs> play cornerback. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, next corner I'm going to be talking about is Eric Stokes from Georgia, and. Not a lot of people are high on Eric Stokes anymore. It was funny. First coming up to the draft and first mock draft season after pretty much mid-round of the playoffs when the Jets were already out of it. We've I've been seeing Eric Stokes mocked a lot, you know, second round, maybe even late first. And now he's actually projected to go in the fourth round. So he's definitely a more mid-round target, maybe even take him in the third, but some of the strengths for Stokes is first, his biggest strength is his press experience. Stokes was played a lot of press in college. And that's something you'd like to see with your corners to have those physical kind of guys. He's six foot one ninety four, So he's a bigger guy and he can, if he can handle his own with those receivers at the line of scrimmage and win that battle, that is a big step up in this league. Some more positives right here for Stokes is he can play the ball from the catch point down and he can see the field very well. Uh, He locates his hands and rakes through the wide receiver, knocking that ball out. Very nice, what you want to see. He's well-versed in the press coverage and actually 400 snaps in press coverage in the past two years. He very fast in the box, which is very nice to see having those corners who can line up inside that tackle box and maybe even blitz off the edge or just bring more pressure. You always want to see your corners being a little athletic that way. 
and he wasn't tested. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. He was barely tested and stingy in 2020. And that's also something you'd love to see. If you have a corner and you're thinking all game, like, oh, where the heck has Eric Stokes been all game? It's like, oh, they're not throwing to his side of the field. That's great. That's really what you want to see from a corner. Some cons of Eric Stokes are he's not very fluid while running it. Uh, a changing direction that's probably his biggest weakness is he doesn't change direction very well which at a cornerback position you need to be quick in changing of direction you need to have fluid hips be able to flip on uh flip on a dime there when playing that position and he actually doesn't have much upper body strength which is funny for someone with so much press coverage uh experience that his upper body strength is lacking. And that can also be seen as it's always good to have more strength in your legs. And naturally everyone does have stronger legs, but it's something that could be worked on too. Just got to get this guy in the weight room. And finally, and this might be a big con, it's something that's very fixable, but he is very grabby with his receivers when they run their routes if he's making a lot of contact on receivers, you know the NFL is going to call it, and they're going to call it often on him. So you can work on that, and it's not like it's unfixable, but it's definitely something you don't want to see happening if this guy's just a walking penalty out there. Yeah, I, I like – again, this is another value guy. I think it could play really well into Joe Douglas's lap if he plays the draft right. And I think that's a big thing, though. You know, there's some things you can teach, and there's just some things that are just bad habits that players constantly show. The penalty thing and the grabbing thing, to an extent, is something you can fix. But also, if it's a part of their game, that means they're not doing something else right. You know, that there's a reason that they're grabbing. And um, I mentioned that with with Samuel. But I, I we'll see where they fall. Where, what is your ideal first four picks like obviously the first one's quarterback what like what's your ideal first four picks like what is it looking like for you i don't want to pencil in anything specific but ideally roughly i would probably be i'm very interchangeable with lineman or corner at that 23rd overall pick and whichever we go at 23 we do the opposite at 34 unless for some reason there's a huge stud that just falls there then i wouldn't mind taking a stud but more recently, I've been warming up to the idea if edges start to fall in this draft because of the free agency needs of corner and of interior offensive line, then we might be able to get an edge like Quiddy Pay at 23. But like I said, ideally, it would probably, probably be O-line corner after taking the quarterback and then probably edge at that third round or maybe O-line again, I can go either way with that third round pick. You really, I really need to see the board and see what we've done. Yeah. How about you? I'm pretty much on the same page. It's going to be like quarterback. Um, if a guy like Quiddy pay dropped, I don't see why you wouldn't take him. Um, so I, I'm again, that picks pretty interchangeable for me. If I have a guy like Vera Tucker there, I'm taking him. The next pick, I want it to be probably a corner. That's what I think. In terms of the value, I think that's probably the best shot. And the next pick, I'm really, I want to see an edge. I really do. I think that that's a really good spot to get an edge. And then you get a wide receiver with your next pick or something like that. But um, I think there's a lot of good value picks here in the third round. Um, 
on to my last guy or on to both of our last guys. This guy, I could see another mid-round, mid to late here. Um, a guy that I really could see Joe Douglas picking up just because of his drafting strategy. Let's see if I can pronounce this name right. <laughs> um, Afiatu Melifinwa. I don't know if I said that right. I have been trying to pronounce it all day, but 6'2", 212 out of Syracuse. I mean, wow, that, that size, I mean, compared to what JC Horn is, 6'1", 205, 6'2", 212, bigger guy, man. And, and really, I think just has a huge ceiling. And those are the kind of guys I think Joe Douglas likes to bring in. I mean, this guy, along with his outstanding size, just has – Again, I've said this a lot. A lot of these guys have the same positive in terms of this, their smooth trip hit transitions. He stays with his, his assignments. He has really good coverage on crossing patterns, which is good. Um, he has, I did notice that he has a decent amount of negatives here, but that's what you kind of get with some of these guys in the mid to later rounds who have this kind of size. Um, he does a good job of bursting to the ball out of his plant. And he keeps the play in front of him. He never really he never really bites on a lot of things and engages in the run and on screens very well. So I like some of these pros for Ifiatu or Ifiatu. Um, some of the bad, though, um, his back pedal is not strong. And again, that's a big part of being a cornerback and some of the first moves you're making as a corner. Um, he's not really fluid in his reverse motion at all. I mean, that's kind of concerning. That's something that could be worked on. So I wouldn't expect him to be like a year one contributor, especially in the first half of the season. Um, he does tend to lose his receiver and shows hesitation towards his receiver. Um, overall, when I look at him as a prospect, he looks like a big corner with great size and it could be someone that JD takes a swing on in the mid to later rounds. I mean, does this not scream a Joe Douglas pick to you? I mean, it, it screams it to me. You know, this screams like a guy who a lot of people might actually overlook. And I would be very excited if we got someone with this kind of size working on the outside for us. It just seems like this, when you get size at that cornerback position, it really makes those receivers uneasy. They are just so used to being taller and faster and stronger than these corners, specifically taller. But if you get someone who's about their size, you know that they start feeling a little, little shaky there. Correct me if I'm wrong. His brother went in the first round, Obi, right, to New England? I'm not sure, he, He's. A I wouldn't be surprised. He's a safety. He had that big um, – at, at the combine, he had the massive – I think he broke a record or something that – that jump, oh, the right? long jump. Yeah, the long jump. He went to UConn, right? Oh, he got drafted by the Raiders. That's right. Okay. He was he was actually a round two pick in 2017. Okay. okay. That makes more sense. So he's bounced around. He's actually on the 49ers now. Interesting. But yeah, hopefully to see some promise out of his brother here. I mean, I would like to pick him up, but let's hear your last guy, GT. Uh, actually, that was the last guy. Oh, you didn't have another one? <laughs> no, yeah. That, okay. We only had five. Okay. Right, well, one uh, honorable mention. Sure is Farley, um, Caleb Farley, I believe his first name is Caleb, right? Yeah, I believe Hope so. I didn't butch that up. Let's see. But, uh, we've already butched one name. So. <laughs> but uh, Farley is, he recently just had a back procedure done, and he's actually expected to be the top corner in this draft. But teams get scared when people have back procedures being done, and I wouldn't be surprised if this guy fell, maybe not fell all the way to 23. If he did... I mean, hey, we're getting a top prospect that fell due to injury. 
sounds a little familiar with Bryce Hall. And Bryce Hall actually was pretty decent in my eyes this past season, but he's definitely someone to keep the keep our eyes on in the news. Yeah, and never know. Maybe we trade up and we grab someone like him at you know that ninth, eighth, ninth pick. You never know. Who who knows what can happen on draft day? So that really concludes the cornerback breakdown. Maybe we'll see a couple of these guys or one of these guys in green and white come 2021 and on draft day in 28 days. So let's break into another very weak mailbag this week. Another disappointing mailbag. Uh, I thought it was going to get better after last week, but hey, uh, maybe we're just not good. Maybe there's a reason why we didn't make the Jets Twitter uh, Sweet 16 tournament. What do you think? What do you think about that? That was funny. Hey, you know what? It was a great idea by uh, I forget his username. I know, I know his it. name. He actually asked a question on here a couple weeks ago. His name's Jack McAnally. Um, so I mean, props to him for for making that. I know we're we're a new podcast, so I I know why we didn't make it. That's why <laughs> it was a great idea. And you know what? I hope cool your Jets by uh, Nania. I hope they win it. I'm I am a very big Michael Nania fan. So. If you're voting out there for the podcast, vote for CYJ. Yeah, I mean, that's a really cool idea. And honestly, the biggest takeaway, I think one of the funniest comments on that post was, how is there this many podcasts talking about the New York Jets? And I was like, that's such a great, how the hell is there even 10 podcasts talking about the Jets? I did. I thought we were like one of eight or one of nine. I didn't realize there was that many. Jeez. Like, think about it. It's, it's not like we're, I mean, we're a big market team, but it's not like we were a successful team. Like there's a lot of us talking about the jets. It's crazy. You gotta so, love the passion. Good, good for, good it. for everyone. <laughs> All right. So let's break into the mailbag. Um, first question comes from Spencer. Actually, before asking his real question, he asked, how are you guys doing? That, that's a good one. I, I like some of those. It asks, it gets a bit more personal and actually asks genuinely how we're doing. So I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking Spencer. Spencer, I really appreciate this question. I'm doing well right now, and I hope to see you very soon. I know last time we saw each other was about a couple of week, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that was a fun time. We should definitely run that back. Definitely run it back, talk Jets, and hey, maybe we'll do a massive live Jets Lab podcast. But to his real question, was there any Jets player that you were very high on, free agent signing or draft pick, that just didn't work out for us? So at first, I thought this question was um, relating to this year, and then JT kind of snapped me out of it and said it's probably just meant to be like an all-time thing. Man, there's there's so many names that that came up here. Like, I'll let you go first here because I'm still need to decide who I'm going to pick here. So for free agency, the first name that immediately came to my mind was Tremaine Johnson, and I really did believe with Tremaine Johnson coming to this team. And having Jamal Adams, Marcus May, it was the whole New Jack City hype. I bought into it. I drank the Kool-Aid. I was like, we're going to be great. And then Tremaine Johnson Johnson stunk it up. And I actually heard that recently, I forget where I heard it, but that every GM in the league knew Tremaine Johnson loved two things. He loved money and he loved women. And he got he got both of them in New York. Mac gave him a huge contract, and then Tremaine just stopped caring about football. And every GM knew that he didn't really care about football besides Mac. So that signing will always drive me crazy. And speaking to the draft, one player that I thought would really be great for the draft was Calvin Pryor. 
he flashed in his first year. He looks pretty promising at that safety position. And then after that, he just fizzled out and I don't even know where he is now. I don't, I think he might still be on a roster, but I really don't know. And I bought into his hype too. I thought Calvin Pryor was going to be the next Jets great safety and yeah, just did not happen. Yeah, those are two great ones. Um, the Calvin Pryor one specifically, we thought he was going to – I thought he was going to be very good. He made – I think the most memorable moment with him was that hit that he had on Odell in the end zone to break up the pass. I, I always remember that one. I mean, there's like such a long list we can do here. I'll pick two. Um, I think most recently, I think it has to be said, C.J. Mosley is probably the one that hasn't worked out that I really thought should have worked out. To this point, he's played like a quarter and a half of football with the Jets and then – took last year off due to COVID. I mean, what a, what a disastrous contract and something that just really didn't work out. So I think he's up there. He's got to be top three for me and worst free agent signings. I mean, Trumaine's probably at least my top two. Um, in terms of the draft, ah, there's so many options. I think a, a funny one, I'm not going to go like mainstream and pick someone in the top three rounds. I'm going to pick someone who was taken later on and i'm gonna go with perry nickerson out of uh west virginia west jefferson college or wherever the hell he's from <laughs> i mean i thought i i don't know i can't speak for you but i thought that he was going to be a really good pickup in the later rounds which just didn't pan out i mean can't knock someone for trying to hit on a late round pick i just thought it was funny how a lot of jets fans started hyping up late round picks especially perry nickerson and just completely fell out flat on his face so i remember the perry nickerson hype for sure and yeah, that was definitely a pick that didn't work out. One of many picks that did not work out. And it's just unfortunate how many busts it seems we've had. We're really hoping that we can change that fortune heading forward. So <laughs> um, let's head to the last uh, question here. It was a last minute question coming in from Tony Vegas at Chasing Payments. Any late round prospects you guys like? Uh, for me, I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, there's there's guys here and there that I like. JT had a couple of guys that he's highlighted, but I, I'm more focusing on the early to mid round picks. So initially when I saw this question and when Joey told me about it, the first person that came to my mind was another cornerback actually, but Tay Gowan. He's from UCF and I've seen mocks where he's actually in that sixth or fifth round range. And when I quickly Google searched him, it actually projects him as a third or fourth rounder. So I'm going to pivot from Tay and go still a defensive player, but a late round target for us, I think would be great is Shaka Tony. He's from Penn state. He's 6'2, 242, and he's an edge. I think Tony it's projected that he could be that seventh round. Maybe we could get him in the sixth or see what happens but he ran a, a four, five 40. And I think that's just insane for his size with 240, 240 pounds. And you're running a four five. And I know all of the forties have been absurdly fast this year because they're all pro days and they're not the combine, but still you got to give some credit to these guys. I definitely think that this is someone worth, well, worth a look at for those later rounds, considering we still do need edge help and edge is a fine position to be doubling up on in the draft. There's no reason I think to not be doing it. Vinnie Curry's only on a one-year deal. Uh, Carl Lawson is here to stay, thankfully, but if we don't take one sooner, hopefully we do. I do think we will too, but 
there's nothing wrong with drafting two edges and having a rotational basis going on. Honestly, this is where I kind of trust. I mean, a lot of people didn't like the James Morgan pick last year in the mid to later rounds. Some people didn't like, I mean, I like the Cam Clark. Some people don't like the Cam Clark pick. It hasn't um, panned out yet, but I mean, this is where I kind of trust Joe Douglas most. He's going to do his homework on these late round guys and um, hopefully a few catches eyes and actually pan out for us. It's, it's something traditionally, I mean, the Jets traditionally can't even hit on first rounders. So to, to be asking now to hit on fourth, fifth, sixth rounders is, I guess, kind of a lot to ask for, but not with Joe Douglas at the helm. I think that there's going to be better luck, I guess, on hitting on the guys who were pretty much just dice rolls. And and once you hit sixth, seventh round, they, they pretty much are dice rolls. I mean, you're not guaranteed anything with those guys. They could be undrafted free agents and, like, you know, with if things go a couple ways or things don't go their way at the combine, there's no combine this year or – and their workouts or their size or something goes wrong, they they could go from a seventh round pick to undrafted. That's simple as that. So it's really a dice draft. Draft. draft is just one big crapshoot. And as long as you have as many darts as possible to be throwing for it, that's all you can ask for. Exactly. That's why we're in such a good posi- position with all this draft capital. Um, but yeah, I mean, any closing thoughts here um, as we close out the mailbag, as we close out this episode seven? I'm just excited for more Jets news, honestly, to come out. I really want more more news. I feel that we got so much news the during free agency that first like two weekish period, and now it's just dried up again. So hopefully something will happen soon. I know. Now it's just the the low the lowly wait till the draft. I know. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna do another breakdown next week? Do we wanna do maybe flip back to the offensive side? What are we thinking? We don't have to decide here, but I mean, next week we'll definitely have another breakdown for you guys. And if you guys want to have a specific group broken down, definitely let us know on Twitter at stacking dollars at jets lab pod and at hauling hundos. Definitely let us know what you guys want to hear. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, maybe we'll leave it up to listeners. If, if you want to hear a certain group done tweet at us or comment on one of our, um, our tweets or comment on the um, episode that we'll tweet out on friday friday um every friday at 9 a.m the episode will drop that's pretty much the schedule we're running on right now they automatically upload at 9 a.m um so that that seems to be working pretty well for us so let's see if i can get your twitter right this week at hall nundos for me at jets lab pod for the pod podcast and you just said it at um stacking dollars for jt there you go, Joe. Oh my God. You might need to be taking that Nerevia, that brain pill or whatever. <laughs> make sure to keep you sharp when you get down to these uh, the wee hours of the day. 9 p.m. You already need to go to bed. I know. I know. It's the end of the day. Shot. I'm feeling a lot more energized than last week. But, hey, this will conclude Episode 7. We really appreciate you guys listening in and uh, can't wait to be back here next Thursday for Episode 8. See you later. And, uh, as always, go Jets.